And we're back. Back again. again. So, uh, how are you doing, Leif? Good, Namir. How are you? <laughs> I'm well. I'm well. Really excited. Today, we have, I, wanna, I, I, was, I was saving this, I was going to call you, the godmother of podcasting for the region. Whoa. You like it, right? <laughs> I'm sure you haven't heard that one yet. I have not heard that one. <laughs> we have Hiba Fisher joining us from Seattle. Um, it's really amazing. Hiba uh, started the Kerning Cultures Network. Uh, she's the first venture capitalist supported venture capital. Is that what it's called? Venture capital or venture backed uh, network podcast network put out in the region. She's just doing unbelievable things and probably one of, you know, when we started this thing, we were really looking to people in this in this region. And, and uh, definitely, Hiba, you're, you're uh, someone that we kind of looked towards and we thought it was just such an amazing thing that you were able to, to kick it off and really, you know, build something. Uh, and I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> you ha you've had such a great impact on podcasting in the region. I think, you know, you've kind of made your imprint across across the world as well. So I think it's just a lovely thing and really appreciate you being here. So uh, how's things in Seattle? Is it raining? <laughs> it is. It is right now, actually. <laughs> my, uh, my dad's been staying with us um, for uh, some time now, like since since COVID happened, he um he uh, he couldn't he couldn't get back to Dubai, so he <laughs> he came here, and uh, and he's been teasing us, and he's like, "What the hell? This is June! <laughs> like, what is this weather?" Which I I don't know. Um, but on you know most days are quite beautiful, but right now it is raining, so it fulfills the stereotype. Yes. <laughs> would, you, would you take the rain over the? Summer heat in Dubai? La la la, ever then. <laughs> no, I, I, that's, that's what I was thinking. I prefer. prefer no, I prefer. Um, no, I prefer the sun. Oh no way! Oh no! Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, okay, no, I would take the I rain. The I would take the rain over the fifty-degree melting weather that we're in right now. So, um, so so now just just to kick it off. So as you said, so your your parents or your father kind of goes back and forth. Is, is that what it is between Dubai and Seattle? Or he's just visiting and just spends the majority of his time here? Uh, that he goes he goes between Jeddah and Dubai. Uh, he's just visiting. Just I mean, COVID has like changed a lot of things and made things a little bit harder. And so um, he's here with us, which is awesome. And I go between Seattle and Dubai. Um, I Before COVID, I used to go every six weeks. So my... I'll tell you my life story. So my family, <laughs> my family and company are in Dubai. Uh, and then my husband is here in Seattle. So that's the, that's the insane uh, back and forth, which worked really well. And now everybody is grounded, which is, is fine. It's actually been quite nice to like <laughs> be in the same spot for, you know, a couple of weeks, which is good. Yeah, for sure. Like we were talking about it. We've been talking about it with the, with the guests, obviously, since we started this podcast during uh, the whole COVID times. And we've been just been saying, like, there's definitely the negative impacts that the being locked up, uh, the fear and the unknown around COVID. But at the same time, there's the positives, which is one, you get to spend a lot of time with your family and mm -hmm. friends. Uh, quality time. Quality too. time. The second is it allows you to pick up new uh, new habits or or kind of like create or build on or try new things that you haven't tried, i.e. the podcast. <laughs> Our case. So so it's been it's been really good. And I've been trying to do as much reading as possible. So how have you been spending your time? Has it impacted uh Kerning Culture's, let's say, schedule or what you guys had planned to do? Uh, 
Um, well, so our teams so were 12 uh, and we're scattered across seven cities, five time zones. It's a little bit of a of an insane operation that works for us, alhamdulillah. Um, and so we're, we're already remote from the beginning. And so we were very well prepared as a team for handling uh, like working from home and um, <clears throat> and being uh, distanced from each other. Um, from a company perspective, we uh, we've grown like crazy, which is awesome. So podcasting, just like you guys started a podcast in the time of Corona, a lot of listeners are uh, discovering the medium um, because of COVID, because you have a lot more time on your hands. You're looking for ways to entertain yourself. And also um, screen exhaustion is real. <laughs> and so being able to stimulate. Yeah, it's a real deal. Like I'm, I'm over it. Like I'm really trying to schedule my daily interaction with the screen because it's it's just it consumes you. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. So so now now I think it's a good point or it's a good starting point. Now let's just kind of take it back and say, how did you get into this? So I know you were involved in startups. You were you uh, prior to starting Kerning Cultures. So you know, kind of guide us through the life of Hiba to this point. You know, how did you get here? Uh, so we, we started Kerning Cultures um, a little over five years ago. And and prior to that, I actually didn't have a background in media or journalism. So I studied I studied what was basically anthropology, <laughs> which you, you might argue actually uh, makes me a very good interviewer, um, but uh, but had nothing to do with media. Uh, and uh, and my passion coming out of university was was microfinance and supporting small businesses. And so that's where the 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 real um, interest in entrepreneurship came about and um, Kerning Cultures is actually my third company um, but it was really I mean it's still hard and certainly in the beginning it was very very hard to learn how to tell a story well because I had never done that outside of like grade school assignments <laughs> you know creative writing assignments or whatever it might be I'd I'd never really um, created a story before and so um, when we started it was really uh, trial and error. And um, <laughs> like, if you listen to some, so we started with the Kerning Culture show or our flagship show. And, and sometimes when I listen back to the earlier episodes, it's, um, it's uh, <laughs> cringeworthy. It, is, it, is that how you look at it? It's, cr it's, it's cringeworthy. It's really cringeworthy. Um, and I'm really, really proud of the quality of the storytelling that we produce at now. But it, it I would say it probably took us three and a half years to get good at learning how to tell stories with sounds because the other thing is when we started KC, there were only a handful of other podcasts across the entire region. Like I think we were one of maybe, maybe like 20 shows that like ever existed. And some had been started like way like back in 2006 <laughs> when we launched in 2015, you know, and had been inactive for like 10 years. Um, and so there really weren't examples around us that we could model ourselves after or people that we could knock on their doors to learn from. Uh, and so we had to look internationally for that kind of inspiration and then also just like figure it out ourselves. Uh, but Alhamdulillah, like we have an amazing team. Everybody who's uh, who's been a part of Kerning Cultures had some uh, storytelling background in some shape or form. So a lot of the times um, they would be videographers or photographers or print journalists. Uh, and so the skill set is there. It's just a matter of adapting it to audio, which is has its own kind of finesse. Um, yeah, so so uh, that's I mean that's a, a little bit of of the backstory. <laughs> Interesting, because like you know, 
obviously there's some like basic lessons that we we've kind of encountered and you continue to encounter when you talk to entrepreneurs, when you talk to business owners, people that are successful. Uh, and, and I'm always kind of, I try to be very clear about success doesn't necessarily translate to money. I think success is just kind of really understanding your place uh, and really kind of doing your craft to the best of your ability and, and really kind of evolving. But what would you tell like all of the creators out there, whether it's podcasters, YouTubers, people that are just trying to put out original content, like how, how what would be the best advice from your experience uh, that you would share? Uh, in terms of when you're starting to make content, um, uh, start, <laughs> I think is the first thing. Like we talk a lot about um, analysis paralysis, right? And, and this idea that like things have to be perfect. And especially when you're talking about some kind of a creative expression, um, it's really terrifying. Like, especially for me, not having a background in media before Kerning Cultures. Um, I remember the first episode we published, I was so nervous because it was like the first public exhibition of like my heart right because <laughs> it's it like you're really it's like it's your voice it's the way that you see the world you know a lot of that is just completely you know imbued in in, in what you're producing and so that's terrifying um but but and, and so like I think it's very easy when you're in that uh, space to want to perfect it until it's absolutely like flawless and then to release it. But by then you probably would have wasted, not wasted, but you probably would have spent like three years or I don't know, however long um, before you actually put out your first uh, piece. Um, whereas content creators, like you just, you're going to continue to get better. And so um, my advice to any regardless of the medium is to just start and really engage your audience. Um, and that was something that we were really intentional about from the beginning was, you know, every episode we would send out to friends and family, you know, the growing network of, of listeners who did not know us actually, um, and ask for feedback and be really, uh, really encouraging for people to give us critical feedback. And then we would, uh, you know, incorporate that, um, those opinions into what we did next. And that's how we got better and better. Was it challenging to get that critical feedback or that, that the tough feedback to people that don't enjoy it? Because we're still kind of building up our skin right now as we're, as we're doing this. Uh, me and this. There, there are moments where I do sit in the corner and cry myself to sleep, but for the most part, <laughs> for the most part. Uh, but, but yeah, like, was it challenging? Because I get that. I, I understand that very well. We're right in the starting phase. It's so personal, right? You're putting yourself out there in such a big way. So so was that challenging? Like, you know, how did you cope with it? I think your your perspective on uh, feedback that comes through, like you just have to be, um, A, you have to grow thick skin for sure in, in any sort of um, public sphere. I think you need to just have that. But then the second thing is they say that you actually shouldn't listen to every single piece of feedback. You should listen to the most repetitive pieces and the loudest pieces. And then obviously like this is your, this is yours at the end of the day. So you get to decide <laughs> what you want to do with it and how it wants to sound. And, um, and so I think like, I, I, I personally try to, um, I try to engage with every, every listener who, and we like now alhamdulillah, I mean, we're, we're quite big as a network and we're continuing to grow really fast. And so we have like dozens of listeners who message us on a daily basis. And sometimes it's with like essays of, you know, how our episodes have made them feel. And sometimes it's with essays of like 
points of criticism of like, hey, like you're the standard of good storytelling in the Arab world, like you need to do better about this or, you know, whatever it might be. And we and we we like really we take every single message to heart and we try to answer, we, we do answer every message that comes through. And sometimes we decide to change things and sometimes we don't because at the end of the day, like we get to decide we're the ones putting in the time and the effort, you know? Um, but, but I would say like, it is, it is a matter for sure of growing a thick skin. And then also like just being smart about what, what feedback you listen to. You don't have to listen to everything, you know, like we had, we had, <laughs> we had somebody message in, and this was really hard for me to take, uh, somebody messaged in and they were, they were like, Hey, you know, I love your show. Um, but the host, uh, her voice is like terrible. And that's like, that's me, right? Like I was the host and they said, it's like a fake American accent. And I'm like, dude, I went to like American schools. Like, I, like, like how am I supposed to change my voice? You know, like, <laughs> like I don't, <laughs> but there's, there's some stuff that like, yeah, of course it like hits you. But like at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. I'm just gonna put it in a box and hopefully forget it happened. <laughs> yeah. We were, Go, go go for it, Liz. It's pretty interesting. So somebody like you, you've been doing it for three years, five years, I think longer than that. Um, I'm always intrigued or interested in knowing at the very start, you're so anxious to start. You have all this drive. You have all these thoughts, all these topics that you want to talk about. But you get to a point where you feel like you're running out of steam. How does the creative process come in working in that environment and coming up with new topics, stuff that you look at as things that you relate to or is it something that's in the pop culture? Like what drives most of the topics that you put out there? Um, well, let me take a step back and maybe explain a bit about uh, the Korean Cultures Network. So we currently have seven shows, five in Arabic, two in English. Um, and we focus on, we produce what we call immersive podcasts for the curious listener. Uh, and so it's very, um, you know, a lot of documentary, long form style production. It's multiple interviews woven with host narration. There's sound design, there's music, like it's like it's a proper film in your ear style of production. Um, and in terms of like figuring out what kind of episode to produce so we're we're a decently sized team now I think we're like nine producers full-time and part-time um and so one is just like the sheer size of that right is that like if you are if you have no idea somebody else is going to have another idea um <laughs> the other um the other piece is that every episode we produce um we, we we try to strive for this standard is it's always starting from a place where a producer is like completely obsessed so like they can't stop thinking about this particular thing or this particular story they want to understand this like every episode is always our attempt at, at really trying to better understand the way the world works in a certain way whether it's um like how, you know, how does this successful comedian, how did they get to where they were? Or it's, you know, how does a mother, how is a mother really handled, you know, having her child um, develop autism at a very young age? And like, how has she been able to handle that? How has he been able to handle that? So it's always really born out of like this question. It always starts with a question. Um, and those questions are either because the producer's obsessed with it or it's something that a listener has pitched us. It's something that we've like read in an article or we had in conversations with friends. Um, and we have a, a we use Slack uh, for internal 
comms as a team. And so we have a channel on Slack labeled pitches where people are always just dropping in ideas for stories. And there's like a million ideas in there that we're probably never <laughs> going to get to, but it's um, just being able to capture them in some place is really helpful because when we are trying to brainstorm and we can't think of anything, like that's a, that's a list that we can go through and be like, oh, like actually that would be a really great idea for us to produce a story around. That's really interesting. So you do take in the comments or the suggestions from from your listeners. So it is it is part of that process. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Such yeah. an amazing thing. Yeah, like again, I, I have like a million questions, right? Obviously, and it's it's a a lot of it is driven out of selfish, uh, selfish wants. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, that process of of really taking your your podcast from an idea or just a passion or a hobby uh, and, and, and transforming it into a business. Like uh, how maybe is, is the question? <laughs> I, I'm, I was trying to think of a really clever way to kind of structure that, but I think just how, like just give us the guidance. Like how did that process go going up, you know, going to pitch it and trying to get people here in this region. I don't know if you got your funding from this region or from outside. How are you able to convince them that this is, something worth investing in like how, how did that process go so i'm so intrigued um well so first so <clears throat> my co-founder razan and zayani and i we um we invested our savings in credit cultures at the start um <clears throat> and so that that's like how we were able to begin uh frankly is neither she nor i took a salary for a long time um and uh, we used the modest savings that we had to hire uh hire some people to help uh, in terms of production because doing production with a with a volunteer team which we also tried uh is extremely hard like you can't like that'll only really get you so far um and then when we started to sell advertisements, that started to like help actually cover some of the costs of, of production. Um, I would say the first big step for us was we went through an accelerator program in San Francisco uh, called Matter. That's, it's one of the few programs in the world that, that I know of that uh, actually supports media companies uh, because most, most accelerators and incubators are looking for your traditional tech platform. Um, and so that was, I would say, the first turning point for us because on the back of what they call the demo day, which is after the, after the program, you pitched your company to a room full of potential investors. Um, after the demo day, actually it took us eight months, but we were at least prepared and knew how to pitch properly um, to raise our seed round. And so we we closed our seed round uh, a little over a year ago, making Kerning Cultures the first until this day only venture-backed podcast company in the Middle East, which is a huge signal for the industry. Um, and we raised from... Uh, we raised from VCs in uh, in Dubai and then a couple of angel investors across the region and then one other institutional investor in the U.S. And it's an American uh, fund called PodFund that invests in podcast companies, which is really handy. Um, and um, and uh, how we did all of that, it it was really uh, hard, frankly, and uh, and it took a long time. So if I can kind of map the trajectory. So we we launched our first episode ever of the Kerning Cultures Network in September of 2015. 
Um, we went through matter in February 2018. So that was like almost three years, basically, before we had our first. They, they also wrote a 50,000 uh, U.S. check. And so that was like our first outside investment. Um, and then we closed our seed round about eight months after that. So like it took about four years, I think, before I would say that like we turned it into a business Um and then, of course, having investment capital made it a lot like it gave us a breathing room where we could focus on just building out our audience. And we weren't so desperate to, like, cover the costs, you know, month over month because we had this we had this buffer. So uh, and, and of course, that just helps in terms of being able to scale the company. Wow. Yeah. Like that's that's really cool. So because I'm just trying to think, you know, as you said, we, we're going to have a venture capitalist come on next week. Mm hmm. Uh, and and that was one of the questions is that as you said traditionally venture capitalists are always looking towards tech, uh, you know the traditional kind of things and and media is kind of especially in this region, it's kind of has like almost like a taboo kind of perspective around that. Did you encounter any of that? Like, to, if I'm gonna I'm gonna just sit and just say it like openly and honestly. So one, you kind of hit some stereotypes like general taboo stereotypes for this region the arab world right you're a woman you're successful you're eloquent no seriously you're successful you're eloquent and you're doing something in media like it's just a whole bunch of like things that you're working against let's say traditionally what we would consider as against in this region like again it's like it comes back to that how question right like you know what i mean like where where did you build that motivation? Where did you build that drive? How did you get that focus? How did you navigate the sea of challenges? And, and you know, what what drove you to wake up every day and kind of fight that? You know what I mean? Is it is it success? Is it financial success? Is it fame? Is it, what is it? What was that obsessive drive? I think, I think the obsessive drive comes out of, um, the fact that as a region, we don't do a good enough job telling our stories. Um, and I'm so I'm I'm a mutt. I'm half Egyptian, half American. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I think a byproduct of that is um, like having an American father and an Egyptian mother and, you know, the, the two families who are very different culturally. Um, I think one of the ways that you bridge some of those gaps is through telling stories. And, and I certainly grew up in a household where both of my parents are, are such good. <laughs> They're said like you, you sit at their feet kind of as they orate these long stories, kind of storytellers. Um, and, uh, and so that's always just, I think been a part of, of me and, and my soul and what I gravitate towards and turning on the radio in Dubai. And I'm sure you can attest to this. It, it's, um, it's so bad <laughs> and we could do, it's painful and, we can do so much better, right? We can do so much better. And we're, we're an extremely young population, right? 140 million people between the ages of 15 and 35 across the Middle East and North Africa. That's, that's a huge population of people who don't have media to turn to where they can actually feel like it resonates with them, where they can see themselves in it. Um, and that causes actually a lot of like existential crises. Like, and, and certainly I, I experienced that and sometimes still continue where, you know, you look at the prevailing narratives around you and none of it looks like you. And so it starts to question like who you are and what, what is valuable and, and all these things. And so, 
And and the part that used to drive me crazy is that it's not for lack of these stories existing. It's just they're not nobody who's making media in the region cares. Right. Um, I used to manage an incubator for startups in Dubai and I would meet entrepreneurs, hundreds of entrepreneurs on a daily basis. And their stories are freaking incredible. And you never see any of that on the radio or on TV or in any of the magazines. Um, so that's really where the idea of Kerning Cultures came out of was this, like we we can we can produce amazing stories that get people to laugh and to cry and to feel a little closer together at the end of the day. Um, so w- when you're talking about drive, I mean, that's, that's where it, it's really come from. Um, in terms of like all the all the boxes of, you know, being female and Arab and a media company and trying to raise uh, investment capital and all this stuff. Um, yeah, like I, I can't tell you anything else except that it was hard. And I it's it's really a volumes game. That's my perspective of raising money now is I think um, in many ways it's like finding a husband or a boyfriend. Right. It's really it comes down to compatibility. It comes down to the chemistry that you have with this person and and I have a long list um, of, yeah, we're actually raising again. I have a long list of of investors that you speak with. And a lot of the times, um, you know, their their thesis is that they invest in ed tech or fintech or health tech. And it's only like I've, you know, one investor repeatedly over the years has told me we don't invest in content. We only invest in the platform. And um, and that's totally fine. And that's the way that you see the world. Uh, I see the world in a different way. I see the world where Spotify just paid Joe Rogan a hundred million dollars for a licensing deal. I see a world where Spotify just bought Gimlet Media, an American podcast company that had been operating for five years, raised 28 million in BC funding. And they bought them five years later for $230 million. Like content is absolutely a profitable space. And it's because you're creating this incredible relationship with your audience. Whereas a listener, like, I feel like I actually know you, like, as the host, I feel like I know you, you are this, you know, adornments to how I cook and how I exercise. And when I'm doing the most boring things in my life, I can't wait for you to transform these moments for me and take me into these story worlds. And, and we're also the, the people who listen to podcasts, which I'm sure you guys know, we're, we're typically young, we're educated and we're affluent. Like this is like the cream of the cream to, to monetize off of. So I like, some investors see it and some don't. Yeah. <laughs> and very loyal. Like I think that's one of the things that people don't don't appreciate or or they're starting to appreciate. And and this is where the value is that you have people that are listening to podcasts are like almost religious fervor towards mm-hmm. the podcast that they follow, right? They sit and they listen from start to finish. Uh whatever is being put out you put out and we we experienced that and you talked about you touched about joe joe rogan and and i think i could imagine like half the podcasters in this world uh, especially the male podcasters i would imagine <laughs> are, are kind of trying to emulate and trying to trying to you know kind of be like him um but that's exactly what it is and i think you just projected it in such a perfect way which is that that connection um that feeling that you know that person and you connect with them and i think it's it's such an amazing platform because it creates that you know what i mean and i think i, I don't know and i, I was I, i've researched and i've looked into kerning cultures are you guys looking to do more visuals with your audio is this something that you are slowly integrating into or is that uh, something that you're not really focused on moving forward 
Um, so I, I think we are, uh, we are keen on building out more of a visual component. We're never going to become a video company. We'll always be an audio first company. And so the video is always just going to supplement and drive traffic to the audio. Um, I know that you guys have a, like the, the, the two, you have the video and the audio component, which I think is really, really clever, uh, especially given how, Yanni, how prevalent YouTube is in, in the region as well in, in terms of, and it, it's really going to help with search uh, as well. Um, I think for us, I, I don't, I don't see a show that we're working on in the future where there's going to be like a video recording alongside the audio recording, but we are trying to get a lot more creative with having photography accompanying episodes. We do these little audio teasers. Um, we're doing like little videos and, and listeners love, love, love the behind the scenes. And so we're trying to be more mindful of that, of like capturing more of the behind the scenes. And, and by the way, like all of our producers, I mean, sometimes we'll record in fancy studios, but a lot of the times we're recording in our closets and under like botanea and it's, and listen, and listeners love to see that, you know, like it just, it humanizes things a lot more, you know? Um, I mean, like I'm sitting on my living room floor right now. So you, <laughs> you'll see the way. It feels like you're sitting with us. That's yeah. why I'm like, I'm really enjoying it. Like, but there's, there's, there's something about, you know, what I like about your show, there's something about producing an audio um, uh, 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 with some immersion in it. It gives you that, there's that feeling that you get out of it that you will never get from a video um, uh, production. And that's something that's, you've touched on something that's very niche and not a lot of people are doing in such good quality. And that's something I don't think video can replicate at all. Yeah, I, th I think your senses, right, will, will overtake it. Your, your eyes. But it just expands your imagination well, to something bigger. You're not locked within this frame screen and it's just your mind and your ears and it just it expands where the storytelling and the, the sound effects and the layering and the sound engineering can play such a tremendous artistic um, effect to the listener. I heard um, I heard a voice actor uh, say this once and it really it really stuck with me and he said, you know, if I wanted to you guys know the film Avatar? Did you watch it? Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. James Cameron, good okay, Canadian. So, oh, got it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> um, so a film like that, which I don't even know what the budget was, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of CGI and graphics and, you know, all of that to create that kind of a story world, which was beautiful and stunning and, you know, won awards, but hundreds of millions of dollars of a budget as with as a voice actor or with a podcast, I just need to use my voice, right? I need to use my voice. I need to narrate a little. I put a little bit of sound effects and then your imagination is going to fill in all those details. And I bet you that the the world that you imagine in your head as the scene of this podcast is going to be even more powerful than what you could have seen on a, on a video. Um, so a hundred percent, I mean, and, and, and to be able to stimulate that, it's like, it's magic. <laughs> the word I was thinking about. Wow. You guys just blew my mind. I'm like, I'm taking a step back now and kind of just <laughs> absorbing that. No, honestly, because it was like, we need to work on our audio. That's, that's so deep. No, seriously, we do need to work on our audio. <laughs> we need to put like crazy special effects, like weird, like soothing sounds to yeah. get people all feeling comfortable. But going back to what you were saying, you kind of said a term which kind of resonated with me a bit um, when you said mutt. Um, I don't, I don't take any offense to that. In, in fact, you know, I, I, I like to elaborate on it. I think there's. There's something cool about that where I look at us as hybrids. I mean, I'm both parents are Iraq from Iraq, born in Abu Dhabi. Um, half of my life lived in Abu Dhabi, then the other half lived in Canada. So I've always, you can say I have, 
want to say an identity crisis, but it's like, okay, am I Iraqi or am I Canadian or am I Khaliji or there's no thing that you can point on. And I've always looked at it as like, okay, I'm kind of like, I don't really have a place to call home. Sad mm-hmm. old me. But as I matured, as I grew up, I looked at it and I'm like, actually, that's an advantage because I have a perspective that a lot of people don't have. And I can relate to a lot more people that people can't relate to. And this is something that's definitely helping me with my podcast, with my work, with my personal life that I think a lot of people don't realize. And it's not, it's not expressed a lot in media. Like people don't touch on that and they don't speak about it. There's um, one of my favorite uh, podcasters of life who's a Lebanese American, Jad Abumrad of, of Radio Lab. Um, I had the, the, uh, honor of, of interviewing, interviewing him for one of our shows. And he said something, um, that I, I, like, I take very much to heart. So he, he, he's also a hybrid, right? Lebanese American. And he says that actually that's exactly the skill set that you need for being a good storyteller and for, for being a good journalist. Um, because you're, 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 you're straddling two worlds. Um, and so you're not really from someplace and you're not really from someplace else, but you're enough you're from somewhere enough that you can empathize and get close to, but you're not too deep into it that you can't see the forest for the trees, right? So, like, I, I think it's I think it's a skill, and I mean, I, I also think that hybrids are the answer to world peace because <laughs> we just <laughs> we're smashing stereotypes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's such an amazing thing, and and for you, like, as now, now I'm gonna kind of hit on. Hiba as a person like you you grew up where you grew up in Seattle or in the U.S. or you grew up here in Dubai or what was it like what created this creature that we're talking to right now (laughs) Um, we moved around a lot growing up Uh, so I was born in the states um, and uh, and then we moved to uh, I, I did middle school in Jeddah. I did high school in Bahrain. Uh, I came back to the States for college. And then my family's been in Dubai for about nine years. Um, and then I've been bouncing between Seattle and Dubai since I got married four years ago. Uh, so it's a uh, home is, is um, home is where your family is for me. <laughs> so Bahrain, you just touched on a place that's very close to me. Like I, I lived in Bahrain now for the last, well, up until I, Moved full time. So 2005, when I moved back to the region, uh, I came to Bahrain and I was there. My father had been in and out of Bahrain for such a long time. And I was wondering when you said your partner, uh, your... Co- Who's over there, by the way, about to make coffee. You might hear his coffee machine coming. <laughs> oh, your co-founder, your co-founder, Zayani. Yes, she's Bahraini. She's she's uh, she's Emirati, but uh, originally Bahraini, yes. Yeah, because... Uh, Obviously, I know a few uh, Zayanis along the way. So Chico's Restaurant, shout out to Chico's Restaurant. If you're ever in Bahrain, <laughs> you got to check out Chico's Restaurant. <laughs> Ali Zayani, beautiful place. So I just gave a sh- shameless plug to a place that I like to eat. But uh, so amazing. Like, it's it's so true. Like, we, and, and I'm putting us, we're, we're all in this bucket, right? We We all have this experience of, we are something and we are something of that as well. And mm-hmm. a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And like you said, it gives so much perspective and it allows us to empathize and at the same time not feel so committed where we, we're unwilling to accept even criticism, right? Like, I, I don't mind. <laughs> I don't know why people are so sensitive about that. Like, why are people so sensitive about 
criticizing themselves. I think you you learn from criticism. And, and I want to take it back to what you said, right? You Some of the, I'm assuming some of the best lessons, some of the best lessons I've had in life has come from, from criticism, from the ability to kind of look at myself and not take myself so seriously. You know what I mean? So I think it's so important. We really, especially at this time, man. And, and, and I was talking to you earlier before we started this and I was asking you about all that's going on in the U.S., um, you know, such a crazy thing, uh, but such an inspirational thing at the same time. Like, I think it's, it's something that is forcing a conversation that needs to happen. Right. And, and you're there. How, how's your experience with it right now? Like you're in Seattle. Are you seeing protests? Uh, what, what, what's your experience with all of that that's happening now? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of protests uh in in Seattle and a bunch of um a bunch of neighborhoods and I'm I'm actually like impressed and proud by how long they've been going on for like it's been it's been I think 12 days now and they're still going which is which is really awesome um and I think it's a conversation that's necessary to be happening at a national level it's necessary to be having at a global level um and um and I also I'm really uh pleased with how um as arabs were were also starting to reflect on <laughs> racism within our own cultures i think a lot of a lot of conversations have started to happen uh in that regard and i'm not at all going to pretend like i'm <clears throat> some sort of an expert or an academic or anything and um and i i'm also highly conscious of like i'm white and blonde hair and light eyes like I like freaking when when we go to Egypt my husband and I he's <laughs> I all <laughs> I'll tell you something so <clears throat> I mean I love I love I love Mostar I love my family so much and I have such a beautiful time every single time we go and whether it's a short visit or a longer visit um and it was only when I got married uh that I realized that my experience of Egypt is very singular <laughs> and it's because I'm this like, um, you know, very light skinned, blonde haired Mosreya walking through the streets. It's very endearing. Right. And so I have a very different experience than my husband who's, you know, I mean, he doesn't look that much different than me, Bessiani. We have a very different experience and that's just such a small shade <laughs> of, a, of a distinction, I would say. So I, I, I have a, a very particular experience going through this world um, and, and this life. And I know, uh, Yanni, I'm incredibly blessed and privileged. Um, so I'm not going to pretend like I have any, I, I don't have, I don't have a place really in any of these conversations except to, um, to just be reflective and, and recognize that and, and think of, I, you know, I, I don't, yeah, of, of, of what we can all do. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and you touched, you touched on something that's, it's so key. And, and we just had a conversation with a guest again, mm -hmm. talking about all the guests that are coming, but we have a guest that's coming, uh, Ishtar, who's, a, who's like a jujitsu champ, Iraqi woman, you know, uh, very conscious, very smart. She, she's based in the UAE and, and she sent something, she put something out on, on Instagram about racism in Iraq right and and it was really it was such a weird experience for me because it was like in in a kind of in a twisted way I, I had this like vision where I was like everything is fine and and we relate to that and we would never do that 
and then you see the reality, right? And it just kind of hits you in the face. And maybe my experience wasn't like that. Uh, you know, we were very fortunate with our parents, um, very open, uh, never kind of had these weird predispositions. Uh, but that doesn't mean I didn't see it. And it doesn't mean that it's not there. And it kind of like kind of shoved me off this kind of pedestal where I felt like, you know, we don't do that. And, and we don't have that issue. I'd have to disagree with you. I'd have to disagree with you. I, I, I yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Growing up, and it's not only my family; every Iraqi Arab family that I know. See, the thing is, the racism that we have in our culture is a different type of racism. It's a, exactly. The, it's it's not it's not the type of racism where it's based on color. It's it's literally anything that they they don't like or they don't understand. They don't understand or exactly. don't know. True. So if you're not from the same religion or sect or color or country or town then you're you're the other and that's yeah. something so ingrained in us and i think that's something that as arabs we need to re-examine how we look and i think this new generation is more awake about these things where they recognize these things and they're willing to change the perspective yes it's different racism it's not as bad as discriminating in the workplace or um you know in social life but you kind of it's there it's it's kind of under the surface it is under the surface. I, I, look, and, when and, I, and we shy from it so easily. I, I agree with you. And I think, look, where, where, where I'm coming from, the reason why I said I come out kind of kicked me off my pedestal was I, in my mind, I never had that experience. Like I never processed. And that's just me as a person. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Too. I can't. Me you know too. what I mean? Me too, and, and, and maybe you're right. It is there. And it's, like, obviously it's there. Right? And, and this is what I mean is that what she sent out, what she put out really like I said, kind of smashed yeah. me in the face. But um, I don't know, man. It's just really weird like to, to really encounter that or to kind of really address that. I think it's really important. And, and, and that's why I just kind of went on a little bit of a tangent. But like with all that's happening now in terms of fueling, and now I'm going to bring it back to you, like fueling future content. Is that something that – have you addressed that before? Or is that something that you plan to address now that has become so much in the forefront of what everyone's talking about? Do you think is, – is that something that you guys are having conversations around? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we've – like over the years, we actually produced a bunch of episodes and then we never published them. Um, we wanted to do a mini series on race across the Arab world uh, – that we're now revisiting and, and figuring out like what from it uh, we could we could adapt. We're um, commissioning a couple of producers to try to do some really fast turnaround episodes looking at race as well, uh, both for our English and our Arabic shows. Um, and uh, and one of the other sort of um, I mean, we've OK, so I, I don't like we're we're 12 people on our team. Uh, I don't think any one of us would identify as being black. Um, and so that's also a, a space that we're, we're trying to be more intentional about. Like we've worked with producers who would identify as being black um, in the past, but uh, nobody's like a mainstay on our team. And so I think being more conscious of that uh, moving forward and also like doing it in such a way that like there's a ton of ex exceptionally talented storytellers. And so I think we've we've been um, trying to be intentional about getting producers from a lot of different kinds of countries. And, and all of us, I think one of the beautiful things about the Kerning Cultures team is is we're we're very, very mixed in terms of background and beliefs and, 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 and you know, even places where we're based. Uh, and so I think that I think we can there's just 
we can always be doing better. I think there's that. Um, so yeah, so I think in terms of content, it is something that we're trying to be, uh, we're trying to be more conscious of. I'd like to think that like, we're, we're pretty conscious as a team in general, like the kind of content that we cover, the kinds of stories that we cover, the kind of uh, countries that we try to produce from, um, like th this has always been like part of our, our, like the fiber of, of, of who we are. Um, but I think global conversations are just reminding us that we can always be doing a lot more. Uh, so, so yeah. Um, I want to I, like, I, and I don't want to like necessarily um, like dominate the conversation with this piece, but one thing I want to just, you are the reason why we're having this piece, right? So <laughs> dominate, please. No, no. Well, 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 just just one thought um, from Leith, what you said of like this kind of racism happens under the surface. I actually think that's the the problem is that it 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 doesn't happen under the surface. I think it happens right out in the open. And I think we've normalized it. I think that's the problem. Like, I think that's that that would be the main like coming back and forth between a country like the U.S., which is like. I mean, everything has to be politically correct. And I think people are so scared of offending people that like all of this is just sort of swept under the surface. Whereas I think in the Middle East, I think that <laughs> we don't care about offending anybody and all this stuff is just like out in the open. And I think both are a problem, right? Because Ehna, we've, we've normalized these kinds of conversations. We've normalized just calling somebody abs and like making it a joke. Uh, but like, it's not a joke, right? And, and so I, I think there's different problems to be dealt with, but like, the, and, and they're different, um, uh, like, like the, the problems are different as well. Uh, but, uh, but I, I, that, that's one observation I think that I've been kind of reflecting on, uh, is that it, it's in some ways, um, the conversations about race in the Middle East are, even harder to be had uh, because it's already such <laughs> it's so much a part of of how we interact with one another like, like it's, it's already, already built, built in. in no it's that, that that's a very i struggled with some of the vocabulary some of our elders use yeah it's, it's not even it's true. not even racist that's like I, I i can tell you know you have the the purest most kind-hearted woman um you know grandmother and some of the terms she uses, not necessarily she's racist, but the way she grew up, there is no other term like the term abid um, for them to describe a person with dark color. Yeah. And when you try to explain it to them, it's like it's, it's difficult to change that mindset. And I think that's the awakening that's happening where it's like, no, no, we have to find something else. Yeah. And just just for our English listeners, just so we kind of show that impact, that word abid translated essentially means slave, right? Which is just. It's wild Horrible. when when you Horrible. step back and you hear it, right? When you really want to address it, and this is what I mean when you want to come have it's it's ridiculous. But coming back and, and it's kind of like kind of ties in all together, right? And when you when you decided to do Kernan cultures, who are you speaking to? Are are you speaking to the West or are you speaking to the population here? Who's your audience? Yeah. Um so it's always been we're creating content for ourselves. Um, and and when we started, we started uh, the, the first show, the Kernan Culture Show, was in English, predominantly English. We did a, a couple of experiments with Arabic episodes. Um, 
that actually performed better than the English ones, which was uh, uh, an indication that we had to start producing programs in Arabic. Um, but uh, but it's always it's always been um, we've always been producing stories for ourselves. I think the fact that we have shows in English um, has opened us up to a non Middle Eastern audience looking to better understand the region, and and we are always getting letters from listeners of like how. You know, I, I actually one of the most extraordinary ones uh, that came in was somebody who messaged to say, you know, I, I knew nothing about the Middle East. And after listening to your stories, I just sold my motorcycle to fund a plane ticket to visit Casablanca, to visit the Middle East for the first time. This was Yanni. It, it's it's incredible to start um to, to be hearing those kinds of things from from our audience. And so I think we're we're starting to be a bit more conscious of um, who else is listening? I, I think I think I would say that. I don't think that we're ever gonna tailor our audio, tailor our content, and the editorial decisions that we make such that we're creating content for like a non Middle Eastern audience because that just defeats the whole purpose of what we're doing. But but we are conscious of of there's different categories of people who are listening and they're listening to us for different reasons. But at the heart, always, whether it's Bihob or Jasidi or Sukun or any of the, the shows that we have, it's always like we're producing content for ourselves because that's any that that's first and foremost what what's what's driving us. Because that, that was the question that I was going to say is that do you feel pressure to put out content or to shape content in that regard but you've just you just answered that and i think that's an that should be the way forward is that you know you should just say and this is again what we're trying to do is just mm -hmm. say what's there and try mm -hmm. not to filter address what's the bad and the good uh, and try to learn right and this is what we're trying to do is we're trying to build ourselves as human beings and hopefully take our audience with us on this journey right of, of, of talking to amazing people such as yourself so 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 seeking advice from a the god the godmother of, of podcasting so if, if somebody somebody like <laughs> trademark you got you got one trademark that <laughs> don't hey, but we have this recorded don't try to take that from me okay i have this recorded guys i got this recorded um <laughs> somebody like us or somebody that's you know entering this 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 new realm um where where you have investors be it vcs or any type of um, um external uh funding that's coming in how do you manage expectations in terms of who controls the content and how does the content come out? Um, do, do they give you the full freedom or is that something that is put in part of the negotiation where, no, we need to screen everything that comes out or listen, we give you the freedom. How does that conversation go about? Uh, so in terms of uh, who controls the content, so 100%, <laughs> we, we will always retain editorial control over all of our stuff. I mean, that's just journalism practice. Like there, there we'll never, listeners will not trust us if somebody else gets a say uh, in, in what we put out. Um, and so all of our investors uh, know that from the get go, like that's never, that's never even on the table as part of a conversation. Um, and, and, and all of our investors, alhamdulillah, I mean, they're wonderful allies. They're very supportive. Um, and they, the reason that they're, that they've invested in us is because they trust that we know how to produce the kind of content that really resonates with audiences and, and that will continue to grow our audience and make them lots of money. Um, uh, so it's, it's, um, yeah, that's never, never on the table. Amazing. 
Well, look, on, on that note, you know, we know you got to run. Now you've just, uh, <laughs> we'd love to just keep talking to you and hopefully we can get you on. Me too. But God, this has been really enjoyable. I hope inshallah we'll get to grab a coffee in real life. I, I hope so. And I, you know, when you get to travel, hopefully we'll get a chance to meet you in real life and, and kind of touch and make sure you're a real person you know, <laughs> that really exists. but um but honestly thank you so much for joining us hibba fisher uh the co-founder of kerning cultures it's an amazing thing we'll put all the details definitely is going to be there uh for all of you guys to check it out it's really beautiful stuff um and that, as usual for us as we're trying to build uh ourselves please like share you know tell your moms uh tell your fathers <laughs> tell their friends um we don't want to thank you for, for joining us today, man. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Hiba. Thank you, guys. Take care. Have a good evening. You, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye.